Good morning, Encounter Church. As we can, my name is Ryan Hansen, and I have the honor of serving on the preaching team here at Encounter. And as we continue our 70 times 7 sermon series on forgiveness, I want to start with a question. Has anybody seen or heard of the, you know, like radio style call-in things where they put a picture on Facebook that's super zoomed in and they say, what is that? Does anybody know what that is? Anybody yell it out? Somebody got it to nine? Nobody? It is dog hair. Partially under the pressure of Dirk's bunny, partially under the pressure of my daughter asking for a COVID dog. We finally gave in. My wife and I got a COVID dog. Meet Abby, our 10-month-old golden doodle, who you might say has nothing to do with forgiveness, but I would say that's not true. If you have a dog, you know exactly what I'm talking about, especially a new dog. Over the last three weeks of having her in our house, which is all we've had her, I have been reminded of many lessons that have gone by the wayside, right? And this is one of the visuals that I think will help us with regards to forgiveness, right? I think we're all born with a frame that we see the world through, right? A frame is intended to fix our focus, to help us focus in on something specific. With regard to a dog, right, my focus is on a companion for my only child daughter, right? So there's a picture of her with her dog. She's happy. Worth the money. The problem comes in is that the devil tempts us to shrink our frames, right? Why I have a tiny frame is beyond me, but the devil tempts us to shrink our frame and fix our focus on only the small things, those offenses that Dirk talked about last week so that we can't even see the good that exists, right? Over the last three weeks, my focus has been overly affixed on the messes that it makes. I know, I peed on my floor. On the bites that it's given me and on the nights that I've lost sleep because it's just howled throughout the night. And what God has shown me is that when it comes to forgiveness, it is extremely hard. You see, my wife and I, eight years ago, did foster care. And we had an experience that was extremely painful, where we had some offenses put on us. And as I sought counsel to deal from the, the pain of those offenses, universally people would just throw books at me and say, read a book, it'll fix all your problems, right? First book that was thrown at me, apparently literally because it's ripped, is Forgive and Forget, right? Just forgive and forget about it, right? By Lewis Smedes. What's interesting is that he wrote another book that somebody threw at me called The Art of Forgiving, which the last chapter is called Forgive and Don't Forget, which that was confusing. But both of those books kind of break forgiveness down to a three-step process. This is his recipe for forgiveness. Number one, rediscover the humanity of the person who hurt you. Surrender the right to get even and revise your feelings toward that person and forgive them. The problem is to... Make forgiveness a three-step checklist didn't work for me. I'm seeing some heads shake. You agree, right? It didn't work at all. So somebody threw a bigger book at me with a fancier cover. And that's got to fix the problem, right? It's got a candle on it. Soul care. That sounds good. This guy took forgiveness and made it an eight-step checklist. He says this, Remember God's grace. Pray blessings on your enemies. See yourself like the offender. Offer forgiveness at the level of the offense. Choose forgiveness process through the forgiveness, remember God is redemptive, and grieve the hurts and the losses. Again, the problem is that didn't help me actually forgive anybody. You see, the challenge is that God 
wants us to be able to move past the tiny frames the devil tempts us to use. God calls us to move past the standard frames that we're born with. God calls us to use a God-sized frame to see things as he sees them. You see, with regards to my COVID dog, right? I don't think God wants me to see just the pee stains, the bites, and the barking. I don't think God wants me to view the dog just as a companion for my daughter. I don't think God wants me to view the dog as a tool that he's using to shape the character of my daughter. See, even in just three weeks that we've had this dog, she's already sleeping in the room with the dog to make sure that it's comforted and that it gets through the night and that it's taken out to go to the bathroom when it needs to go out. She's already, like, cleaning up after the thing. I know. She's, she named it the poop shovel. She's pretty excited about the poop shovel. And she's already giving up lots of activities that she finds a lot of joy in to play with, to take care of this dog. And it's great watching her character grow. But I'd miss all that if I just focused in on the tiny little frame of the offenses that the dog gives me. And whereas a dog is not the end of the world, what happens when our frame shrinks with regards to a person? What happens when a person puts offenses on us and our frame of reference shrinks and all we can see is the offenses that that person has done to us and we lose the ability to see any good within them? What happens when we lose the ability to see them as a person created in the image of God, created with a purpose and a plan for their lives? And every time we look at the person, we just see the time that they hurt us. See, that's why forgiveness is hard. And whereas last week, Dirk talked about kind of the why we need to forgive, right? The offenses that we accumulate and the weight that that puts on our souls. Today, I want to talk about the how. How do we move from the tiny frame where all we see is the hurt past the standard frame that we're born with to the God-sized frame where we see people as image bearers of Christ created with a purpose? And what helped me, God reminded me of a sermon that I heard a long time ago from a pastor in Tulsa. And he recognized that not every offense is equal. And he said that there's three types of offenses, right? There's, there's frustrations, there's failures, and there's flagrant fouls. And he created a framework that you probably got when you walked in, a blank one so you can fill it in as we go. But he created a framework that kind of helps us to process through and learn how to forgive. And I want to walk through this framework today, but I also want to add on top of that some biblical justification for why I think his framework is correct. So if you'll pull out your cards, if you want to fill them out. But I think we've got to recognize that I don't know how you've been hurt. And before we jump into the framework, I don't know what kind of offenses have been put on you. And I think that that needs to be recognized. I don't know if you had a friendship that went sour. I don't know if you've had a rift in the family due to the last year's pandemic, due to the last four years of politics, due to who knows what. You fill in the blank. I don't know if somebody really close to you has hurt you in indescribable ways. But through this framework, I hope that we can all learn how to take the next best step toward healing from those hurts and getting to the point where we can forgive those people. So that's the goal today. So let's jump into this framework. Let's go to the first one, frustrations. And frustrations happen, the offense happens 
at an exchange between two people. Right? For me, I get inordinately frustrated when people are late for something that we're planning on doing. Right? Like, I'm a five minutes early equals on time, and if you're five minutes late is fashionable, then we have a ten-minute problem. Right? And usually, the feeling that I have is that I have no value, that I'm not worth your time to follow through on your commitment. And I get inordinately frustrated. And my result is usually petty. Right? I'm a sarcastic person. I grew up being like the one-liner funny guy. And there's always one random line floating around in my head that I can throw out. And usually in my moments of frustration, that happens. And I say something funny. It shows that I'm clearly unhappy with the situation. And I kind of put like the haze over the situation for the rest of whatever we're doing. Which is obviously not what God wants. Now, the biblical antidote for a frustration is maturity. You see, in 1 Corinthians 14, 20, it says this, Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regards to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. See, when we're frustrated, the antidote is maturity. And that maturity is expressed through patience. So the answer is patience. In Galatians 5.22 it says this, But the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. See, me and my daughter have this thing. When we see ourselves, each other kind of getting frustrated, we get each other's attention and we're like, Hey, my daughter's name is Eliana. Say, Ellie, this is a suck it up situation. And she looks at me and she laughs because suck it up is fun to say. And it gives us the pause. It gives us the break that we need for the reaction, which for a frustration is just to bounce back. Sometimes we need to recognize and be mature enough to recognize that not all offenses are worth reacting to. Not all offenses are worth getting mad about. And if it's an offense at the level of frustration, we need to be mature enough, we need to practice patience, and we need to bounce back and just keep going and say, you know what, sometimes things happen, sometimes people are late, and for me, I need to remember that whatever frustrates me, if I think back far enough, I'm probably guilty of at the same time. Somebody cuts me off, I've probably accidentally cut somebody off. If somebody's late to something, I've probably been late. If they're late and don't text, I've probably done that too. And sometimes you just need to remember that we're all guilty of offenses. Be mature and move on. But obviously frustrations are not the only kinds of offenses that occur, right? They're also failures. And failures happen due to an unmet expectation. And for me, the example of an unmet expectation in my life is that story I started about foster care eight years ago. See, we, me and my wife, we were in our 20s. We signed up for foster care because of a sermon. We wanted to be good people, right? The agency had siblings, two brothers, and they, the court said they should never be together because of the history. So the agency placed one with us, one with another foster family. For a year, the agency pressured us to take both because they wanted them adopted together even though the court didn't want it. And during that year, they also pressured us to just adopt the one that we had. So after a year, we went through the process. We did the whole thing. We had the paperwork filled out. The agency scheduled a meeting to finalize the adoption paperwork. And they literally picked it off the table, threw it on the ground, and they put a different set of paper on the thing and said, new events have unfolded. We convinced the other people to take both kids. We're taking this child today. 
In that moment, right, you get the fight or flight response. And I don't have a flight response. I only have a fight response. You can talk to my wife. Like one time I wanted a better picture of a bear in Yosemite, so I chased it a quarter mile down a path, which that's another story. But that's kind of the person I am, right? So like I fought it. And as part of the fight, I had to get character references. Now I was on staff at a church as the youth pastor. Not this one. And I asked the pastor who was mentoring me, who encouraged me to go to seminary, who I had a really good relationship with to write a character reference because it seemed like that's the kind of person you would expect to do it, a pastor, a friend, a mentor, you know. And he's like, oh, yeah, no problem. But he didn't. A week before I was due, I said, hey, you got that letter? Yeah, 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 I got it, I got it. But he didn't. A month later, he said, do you still need it? I'm like, no, I needed it three weeks ago. He's like, Sorry. Didn't even care. There was an unmet expectation for the foster agency. There was an unmet expectation on the part of the pastor, again, not Dirk. And my frame shrunk super small, right? Because the feeling that I had was that I was victimized. I felt like I was the victim of this foster care agency because I did everything right. They told me I did everything right, and yet they put so much pain on me. I felt like I was serving this church. I was in this mentoring relationship with this guy, and yet he didn't follow through. And the result was a pain that I had never experienced. My frame shrank so small that when the commercials for the foster care agency came up on the radio, I'd turn the radio off. That because I was a youth pastor and I didn't technically have to be in service, I just wouldn't podcast the church that I attended that I was on staff for. I'd listen to a different church. Because the pain was just so deep at that time. And the antidote to a failure, to an unmet expectation, is ministry. See, Matthew 18, 15 through 17 says this, If your brother and sister sins, go and point out their fault. Just between the two of you, if they listen, you've won them over. But if they don't, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. You see, if you are failed due to an unmet expectation, the answer is ministry. But the answer requires a process. See, I entered into that Matthew 18 process with this pastor. I wrote him an email because that time I couldn't emotionally talk to him. I outlined how he hurt me and how his behavior has affected me. And the response that I got was less than helpful. We walked the process all the way through to a meeting with me and him and the church elders where I voiced my side of the story, the pain that he caused me and how that resulted. He confessed that he's much easier to make commitments than to follow through on obligations, that he's got so many people around him that give him so much grace that it's never really been a problem. Now I got closure and I was able to forgive him. And he got accountability so that hopefully it doesn't happen to somebody else. But in some of these situations, I forgave him. And I maintained the relationship. But the reaction was boundaries. See, sometimes you can forgive somebody, but for the relationship to maintain a healthy future, you need to put boundaries in place. You can get rid of the small frame with regards to the person, and you can, you can see them as a person created in the image of God. You can also put boundaries on them. You can see the good, but you can protect yourself from the results of the fallen nature that everybody has.
And the third column is the flagrant foul, right? Sometimes we're victimized. Sometimes we're flagrantly fouled. And that's when somebody else exploits you. You know, this is when you have an expectation, the, fail, the, the failure, you have an expectation that goes undone, but sometimes people intentionally hurt you. And that's a whole other level of offense. See, the best example I can come up with is the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15, 11 through 32. I'm not going to read it because it's 21 verses, but I'm going to paraphrase it. Basically, what the story that Jesus tells is a son that goes to his father and says, I'm sick of working the family farm with you. I'm done. I want my share of the inheritance, and I want to leave. He basically tells his father that he thinks he would be better off if his father were dead, because that's usually how you get an inheritance, and that money is more important than their relationship. Now, when a flagrant foul occurs, it leaves you feeling violated. Like somebody's intentionally trying to hurt you. Now, Jesus doesn't say much about the father in the parable, but I can only imagine what I would do in his situation. Right? I would start playing the what-if game. What if, what did I do wrong in the past? What if I raised him differently? What if I wouldn't have said no so much? What if I would have been, you know, more forgiving? What if I'd have done this? What if I'd have forgiven that? And what happens is the result of all that what-ifing is that it changes who you are. It changes your programming. By continually questioning your past behavior, it changes the way that you behave in the future. And when you get violated, it actually changes you as a person. Now Jesus continues the parable. The boy goes out. He lives his crazy life. He blows all of his money because he clearly never learned responsibility. The only thing you can do is get a job feeding pigs, which for a Jewish person is like rock bottom because those are unclean animals they're supposed to have nothing to do with. He can't afford food, so he has to eat the pig slop, which is like even worse. He has an epiphany. He says, maybe I'll go back. My father's servants ate. Maybe I, I can't be a son anymore. I kind of screwed that up. Maybe I can go back and I can be one of my father's servants so at least I can eat. And his choice to go back wasn't out of love for his father. It was out of selfishness to eat. And he forces his father to confront all the pain that he's been experiencing while his kid was gone. And the biblical antidote, the only thing that's going to fix a situation where we've been violated is a miracle. And the only way that we get to the point of the miracle is by entering into God's presence through prayer. You see, the kid goes back and the father sees him far off. The father's got three options for what he can do. He can have a breakup, right? We all know people that have disowned People, we all know people that have said this relationship is over, literally don't talk to me again. He can break off the relationship. Hey, life's a chapter book and your chapter is over. Goodbye. Right? That's an option. You could have a breakdown, right? We all know people that have had like a nervous breakdown where the emotional weight of a situation is too much for them to handle and they just kind of shut down, unable to do anything. And that's an option. Or the father could have a breakthrough. Through time in God's presence and through prayer, he can allow God to work a miracle in his heart and forgive his son. In the parable, the father forgives his son, accepting him back into the family with full rights as his son. And in reading the parable of the prodigal son, I think, could I do what that father did? And my answer is probably not. 
The chapter example is something that I've kind of fallen back on a lot. When people hurt me, your chapter is done. I don't want to be hurt anymore. There's other areas to focus attention to. But Jesus in Luke 18, 27 says this, What's impossible with man is possible with God. And that's why when we're hurt at the level of a flagrant fall, when we're violated, we need to spend time on our knees in prayer. We need to enter into God's presence and we need to pray for a miracle because by ourselves, we cannot heal. And that's where all these books fall short. This is a to-do list. This is a checklist. Do this, do that, everything will be fine. It doesn't work. You need God's intervention, especially at the flagrant foul level. Now again, I don't know your stories. I don't know who's hurt you and how they've hurt you. But I do know that frustrations, they get in the way of us reflecting God's light to the communities that we live and the people that we interact with. And sometimes if we can be mature and practice patience, God can use us in significantly larger ways. I do know that if we've been failed, that God desperately wants us to enter into the process of healing. Maybe that's conversations with people that you don't want to have. Maybe that's counseling that you're embarrassed to ask for. Or maybe that's entering the Matthew 18 process of reconciliation that is a hard process to walk. But the result is exactly what God wants for you. Or maybe you've been flagrantly followed, you've been violated. And God is calling you to get down on your knees and to pray and he desperately wants to work a miracle in your life and give you the breakthrough that he so desperately desires for you. The point of this is, is that we can't do it alone. We cannot fix our own problems. And in researching this sermon, the verse that kept coming up was Ephesians 4.32. This is the, the bar that God sets for us. Ephesians 4.32 says this, Be kind to everybody. Be tenderhearted. Forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. That is a big, very high bar. Be kind to everybody. I don't know about you, but that's, that's hard. Be tenderhearted. That's hard. But this one is crushing. Forgive one, everyone as Christ has forgiven you. See, what God showed me as I prepared this sermon is that if you read that forward, that's the what. That's the bar that God sets. But God showed me the how in an internet posting of a sheep. You see, if we look at our, our friend Shrek here, so this is the world record holder for fattest sheep. It's true. They found Shrek in a cave being separated from his flock and his shepherd for six years. And apparently, I didn't know this, a sheep's wool just grows without stopping. And they have no way to cut it themselves. So there are literally no wild sheep in the world. Every, shepherd, every sheep needs a shepherd, which is a sermon for another day, but blew my mind because I kind of thought that every domesticated animal had a wild equivalent, like cats, but apparently not. See, the problem was that Shrek's wool had grown to 60 pounds and the weight of being away from his shepherd made it so that he couldn't even walk. He was literally just sitting in a cave waiting to die. 
The average sheep gets sheared at 10 pounds of wool. So he had 50 extra pounds on him. And just like Shrek, the weight of our decisions doesn't hold us down physically, but it holds us down spiritually. The weight of our past sins, the weight of our present sins, the weight of our bitterness and anger and unforgiveness weighs our soul down to the point where we can't move spiritually as God calls us to move. If God calls us to minister to somebody, if God calls us to share the gospel, if God calls us to volunteer, the weight of our past decisions, just like Shrek was stuck in a cave, we're stuck in a cave of our own bitterness because of the weight of our unforgiveness. And just like Shrek needed a shepherd, we need a shepherd as well. See, in John 10, 14, Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. See, the how of reaching that bar that God sets for us is found in reading the verse backwards. Ephesians 4, 32 backwards says this, Only after you receive God's forgiveness, then you can forgive one another. Then your heart can become tender. And then you can be kind to everybody. You see, before we can do any of this work, any of this forgiveness work that we're called to, we need to first understand the work that God has already done for us on our behalf to forgive us. Romans 5.28 says this, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ has died for us. We didn't do anything to deserve it. Christ offers forgiveness as a free gift, offering it to us not after we become perfect, not after we've got our ducks in a row, not even after we seek it. The gift is already out there and all we have to do is receive it. See, that's where we go wrong. We say, I can't forgive you until I can trust that you're not going to hurt me again. God fully forgave us while we were sinning. He fully forgave our past sins. He fully forgave our present sins. And he knows and fully forgave our future sins that we haven't even dreamed up yet. All we have to do is accept that. And until we can fully understand and accept the forgiveness that God puts on our hearts, after we allow Jesus into our lives to shear the emotional baggage that we carry, can we be free to live the life that God calls us to live just like Shrek was free to live the life of a sheep? Our purpose is being held back because of the weight that we carry. Now maybe you haven't accepted that gift of forgiveness yet and if today is your day, I'd love for you to come up after service and I'd love to talk to you. If you're online, there are people watching the Facebook chats and they would love for you to send them a DM and they'd love to talk to you that way as well. But my encouragement this week for you is this. Fill out the framework. You can go online and just pause it at the end on the filled out slide. Flip it over. Who is God calling you to forgive? Where do they land on this framework? And what is the next best step that the Holy Spirit is convicting you to take? And who do you know that can hold you accountable to taking it this week? Don't leave today without committing to take the next 
best step toward forgiving those in your life, toward forgiving others as God has already forgiven you. Don't waste the gift that God has given you. Will you join me in prayer? Dear God, this is a a broken world. Other people hurt us, and if we're honest with ourselves, we've hurt other people. We get offended in all kinds of ways, frustrations and failures and flagrant fouls, and to be honest, we don't know how to deal with it. We've read the books, we've tried to solve it ourselves, and we just can't. We need you in our lives. We need you to teach us how to look past the tiny frames that the devil tempts us to use to see the world and others. And we need your grace and your forgiveness to be able to see others as you see them. As people created in your image who, yes, suffer from the fall and do hurt each other, but were created for a purpose and created to do good things. Help us to fully feel the sacrifice that you made on our behalf, the death of your son Jesus on the cross so that we can be forgiven. Help us to forgive others in the same way, unconditionally, before they did anything to deserve it. If people have offended us, people have frustrated us, help us to be mature and show patience. If people have failed us, Help us to enter into the process of healing that you want for us. And if people have flagrantly fouled us, bring us to our knees. Help us to enter into your presence and please work a miracle through us and give us the breakthrough that you desire. Help us this week to take the next best step toward forgiving others of you as forgiven us. We thank you and we love you. And it's your name that we pray. Amen.